Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Thank God, Mike. Feeling a little uh, at home, let's say. Yeah, a little cooped up. And we are joined today by producer Matt Lippman. How are you, Matt? I'm very well, thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be back. And everyone had a uh, a nice, quiet, uh, home-bound Pesach, Passover? Yep, we did. did. It was very nice. Lots of matzah pizza. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I felt it went very, very quickly. I actually want to get a little bit... I, I, I don't think much has changed in the news, really. So uh, doing a news update on why the government, we still don't have a government, even though we're supposed to, after weeks of negotiation and the endless postponements. Uh, I'd like to, yeah, Alan? I think we just, because uh, a quick update, what's happened is that now, as a couple of weeks ago when we spoke, we were saying, oh, it looks like there's going to be unity government and Gantz was going to be able to form it from, from blue and white. Well, now that didn't happen and it's gone back to the Knesset, the parliament. The president has sent the mandate to go for the to the parliament and let them figure it out. Right. So in episode so, 169, we were talking about that it looked like we would have it. In episode 170, we had Rachel and it, we said, now we're stuck. Now that term yeah. has run out. And so the president has handed over the mandate to create a government to the... Knesset, and they have 21 days, or we'll go back to fourth election during a pandemic. Yep. Unbelievable. And that's depressing Super enough. Super frustrating. So I, I wanted to make the topic a little bit more depressing. I was thinking, and I think it, <laughs> <laughs> I think it all relates, so it's sort of a, a mega topic, a meta topic, maybe. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about our job, what it means to be teachers who educate uh, about the world, and about current events, and about civics and politics. And I I have actually had a creeping fear that our jobs are going to become impossible if the world leaves the period of the Enlightenment. We, we teach about a nation state called Israel, which is a product of hundreds, a few, the last few hundred years, where the world has agreed that we are going to Look at the world rationally. People can be religious, but that should be more or less separate from our how we conduct our governance. We should establish a world based on facts, objective reality, empirical acknowledgement of what's going on around us. And then humans will inevitably disagree on exactly what problems need to be solved and how to solve those problems. And that should be what people within nation states should be arguing about and between different nation states. I, I, I am actually starting to be concerned. Part of it is watching, you know, whether it's social media or news coverage about uh, COVID-19. I fear that we may be leaving the Enlightenment period where those values are the bedrock of how we look at the world. Does that resonate with you guys at all? Do you get what I mean by that? It's a little bit... Do, 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 are you with me at all? Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, it's a little it's a little weighty, um, I would say. Yeah. Uh, right? But I think I, it's actually been a lot of my thoughts also. Um, and I'll, I'll look, frame it a little differently for myself, I think, which is that we... I, I like to think of myself as I like to teach about like meaningful um, identity. 
You know, yeah. who am I? How am I in the world? And how does it relate to me? And how do I relate to my people and my country and my, you know, my, uh, and how does how does religion or God play into those things or don't or so? Um, and we we certainly that's based on certain like fundamental ideas that that I also grew up with. I think I would agree that are like formed by the Enlightenment in the modern period where, um, you know, personal personal rights and uh, and that, like you're saying, based on um, also, you know, uh, you could say the scientific method. Right. I think yeah. that that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, um, ultimately, again, we can argue about, you know, you can even argue about truths. Or not at times, but there are certain basic fundamentals that we all agree on, um, and I think where we've often sort of talked about this time period is postmodernism. You really started talking about as like post enlightenment, even right? Yeah, that's my fear. That's my fear, mm-hmm. and that yeah, Matt. So I, I'm just wondering if maybe the enlightenment has led us to a point of um, saturation. Of enlightenment almost like knowledge is so easily available and not only that but knowledge is so easily disseminated right anybody can get together and make a podcast or anybody could get together and write a blog or, or or make instagram posts or whatever it is and there's so much information coming at people now that it's almost impossible to to put a filter and say okay what is reliable what can what makes sense to me and and how do i take that information and put it into a concise and coherent package Alan? i think uh, the question is who do i trust yeah who do i trust where where do i get my sources of information that i'm going to trust to 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 um to make my opinions and to form my identity and to give my life meaning yeah and i i, I just the only thing i would uh I would use a different word than you, Matt. I don't think we're flooded with you. you at the end, you 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 said it. I think I agree with the way you said it at the end, which was we're flooded with a fire hose of information, which is somewhat different than knowledge. In other words, or or even maybe even more simple, we're flooded with data. Now it could be good data, it could be mm. bad data, and so because we're buried under data, we don't know what are facts. I just listen to how people are talking about now. I'm sure there have always been. I don't want to be the old man who complained. I'm sure during all pandemics there are rumors and conspiracy theories, you know. But people, what people know for a fact when they talk about uh, COVID nineteen may not, in fact, be fact. Very often, I hear people saying things, and I'm like, "What? Well, I don't think that's a fact." And then it becomes the the, the work of 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 researching. And, and I think that our students' age aren't being trained to, and I don't think the educational world is training young people how to navigate through the, the, the mountains of data, through the haystacks of data to pull out the needles of facts. I, I mean, I would say I, I'm not so sure. I, I know how to. Yeah. It's daunting. <laughs> I know to listen to. You know what I mean? It's daunting. I mean, that's why I was, I was talking with my kids, my family, my wife, my kids over, you know, what are the last days is we have a lot of time to sit around and talk around the family table. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's one of the things, you know, we point out is that, you know, if we look back 100 years ago at the at the pandemic in 1918, 1919, the flu, well, they didn't get daily rates of how many people were dying all over the world. No. 
Like that's crazy. Yeah. That, like you open your thing and say, okay, now this in, in each country, how many, and then comparisons and this and this, how many are getting sick and how many, like, and of course that's that in and of itself is a is a weird. Data because it's not how many are getting sick; it's just how many they've tested. Reported. It's so variants, right? Reported. reported. How many of them have been right. tested and scientifically proven to have it, and how many haven't been tested yeah. but also have it? So those yeah, numbers exactly. are estimates; they are not facts. Right, exactly, and people are treating them as facts. Yeah. Um, and and I was just, th- but and you certainly didn't have if you didn't have that reporting in that way, like that we have it today, like an up to date. Okay, well, you know, 140 people have died in in Israel so far, and and then and then again, like we said, like how how reliable is the are those numbers, and is that data, and how do we how do we assess that, and then make some kind of conclusion about that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I, I'm, I'm feel myself trying to figure that all out. Let alone how I teach someone else to do that. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. You wanted to say something. Uh, yeah, I was. I, it's interesting as well because just to give an anecdotal piece of evidence of this that we don't know how to separate the data that we're receiving uh, on Shabbat. Uh, my family and I, we went for a uh, a walk. We were within within a hundred meters. Absolutely, mm-hmm. don't worry. Within following meters, the rules. <laughs> Just in case you worried that you're talking to a low breaker, we were no, not. Think, we were within a hundred. Honestly, meters. Matt, I know you're kind of joking, but I think it's worthwhile uh, us always reinforcing to each other whenever we talk, whether it's on this podcast or in general. I am following. I am following the health ministry's rules. So we absolutely were. We were within a hundred meters, and a police car pulled us over. Well, he stopped in the middle of the street, and he and he said, uh, "Where do you live?" And I told him where we lived, and he said, "Okay, so that's within hundred meters." He said, "Fine." He said, but you're not all allowed to be out together. So it was myself, my wife, and our four children, who are all 12 and under. And he said, you have, you're have you only allowed one person out at a time. And I said, I don't think that's accurate. Right. And he said, no, no, that's a- absolutely thing. So my wife said, what are we supposed to do with the children then if we go out? Like, how do the children go out by themselves? He said, no, no, you could one parent can take one kid. The rest stay at home with the other parent. And then you do a swap. So after Shabbat, I went on to the local uh, English speakers Facebook group in Modian. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm just checking if this is accurate because the information I'd read when I went onto the website of the Ministry of Health did not Mm -hmm. seem to support what the policeman had told me. Suddenly, everybody's an expert in constitutional law. Everybody's an expert in the Ministry of Health. Suddenly, everybody, I was just looking for yes or no, was he right or no? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that masks do work or everybody knows that masks don't work or everybody's become an expert. And you wonder suddenly, well, have we just grown a generation of PhDs in uh, immunology suddenly overnight? Like, how does everybody, like everybody's an expert? And it really got me thinking about this, what you're saying about there's so much data. Everybody's choosing to put forward what they know. Right. But what is accurate and what's not, not accurate? Right. And, and, and part of why I think we're, this is an interesting age is that as opposed to often on political issues where we debate what's true and what's false, but at the end of the day, there's no way to conclude here. States and countries that that interpret facts one way will have markedly different outcomes. You know, South Korea and Germany have very low death rates because they interpreted the data very clearly and chose actions that kept that are keeping the death rate low. Israel and New Jersey, which are roughly the same size and the same population are having very different outcomes. Now, part of it's geographical, that Israel doesn't really have open borders with its neighbors. And part of it is that policy in New Jersey and Israel are markedly different and are leading to different outcomes. So that these, at the end of the day, part of what 
the Enlightenment argues is that there are facts and the facts do matter and that using rational analysis will yield at the end of the day better results if, and, and, and here's the thing, if you pick leaders who engage in that sort of factual analysis well. Uh, I would like, uh, there's a funny, and not a funny thing, but, you know, first of all, if you also compare us with Sweden, let's say, right? Hold on. Sweden is also a similar uh, population. There's about 10 million people in Sweden, 9 million plus in Israel. And they chose differently than most Western countries. Sweden has chosen not to do basically any lockdown. Pretty open. Right. They're um, and there's. And they have about 10 times the amount of death rate that Israel has. Uh, yeah. Um, and again, given those facts, but but they're still hold like their government, even though there's a lot of controversy within Sweden about it, whatever it is, but their government is still holding on to it because they're claiming in the long term, this is going to prove to be healthy, you know, the, the right response. The herd immunity like, argument. What, no, I don't think they're even – they're not doing immunity. Forget about the immunity. But you're just saying, like, at the end of the day, this is like we, we really believe in what, in what we're doing, that this will have less impact, whatever it is. But my, my point isn't wh- which argument is right. right. My point is, is that, like, it, we also have this tendency to, to make immediate, right, uh, like – decisions on what is right and what is not as right, as opposed to waiting till we have the data, you know, like we have better perspective, let's say. You understand what I'm saying? Well, like, I, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I get. I, I, mean, I understand that governments, I understand governments need to make decisions right, quickly and they need right. to make those decisions. No doubt. But me as, as a learner, Right and someone who right, I need to right. I, I need to have intermittent intermittent like decisions, but I also have to be like realistic enough to realize, oh, we don't really we won't know about this until another five ten years to really understand it all. Okay, you know. So then here's my question in a nutshell. Okay, two years from now, when the data's mm-hmm. in, right now, the planet Earth is a bunch of laboratories. How many nations are there on Earth? Hundred ninety something. Is each, yeah. each each state on Earth is now uh, an experimental laboratory how to deal with a pandemic, and it's going to yield very useful information for the future. So here's my question: When that's over, will people agree? Oh, this country had it better than that. Or to use the United States as an example, will Trump supporters say Trump handled it amazing, and? Trump haters say Trump handled it terribly. No matter what the data shows, no matter what is concluded, no matter what the experiment indicates, will people still filter information through partisan lens and then not rely on data and facts for clarity, but manipulate the reality based on their opinion? Yeah, Matt, go ahead. I think the the answer is yes to the second part of your question, that people will choose the data that supports them. I think we all have like this confirmation bias, some to more, some to less, but we look for the data. So if you're trying to understand if Donald Trump or Benjamin Netanyahu or whoever has done a good job, you'll take the, the statistics that prove your points, so whether those are based on uh, a more successful economic time during this crisis or whether it's to do with a death rate or a hospitalization rate or, or whatever the, the, the figures are that you're going to be looked for, you're going to look for the area which is going to suggest that they did it right. Now, they may be, right, so somebody else might say, oh, no, they've done a terrible job based on factor X, but somebody else, oh, no, they did a great job based on factor Y. 
And I, I think you can't get away from that. I think that's just the way the world functions and the if way that's, people function if today. If that's exactly my fear that I don't know how to do my job. Because what Locke and Rousseau and Jefferson and all the Enlightenment thinkers were arguing was, that's no way to run your life. You cannot do that. That will lead to one disaster after another. Those, If you can't learn well from it, it's not just those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. If those who don't learn history accu- with accuracy and clarity are going to repeat it. If you if you manipulate history to defend yourself and and you and and revise it to make yourself sound better, then that's as good as not learning it. You're just you're just going to repeat the same mistakes. It's incredibly dangerous. Go ahead, Alan. So I'm wondering if it was really any different if like the ideal you're setting up is something that was you know, like in a book in the academy, mm-hmm. but actually practically in the world, have we ever really, um, you know, the victors write the history, as we say, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we rarely we rarely look at, at, at those blemishes. Um, not rarely. I mean, I, I, I don't really know how, like, how, you know, the, 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 the New Deal, if you look at the New Deal of Roosevelt, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's like a sacred cow for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, of how of how it's been looked in history or you know Roosevelt's position in history somewhat um, yeah but that and that and, and the method was to is to this day debated what is the role that government should play in solving these giant problems how much that right. the method is still debated but we are now one of the advantages of getting older is we can remember when things like this happen so that if I think back to the AIDS epidemic, and there was all this confusion about what it was and how you caught it and what should government do and what shouldn't government do and how much of it could you blame on this. In the early stages, led to all sorts of problems. But once we figured, we got to the facts, everyone pretty much coalesced on how do we deal with this and how do we minimize the risk. And then there were some arguments, you know, should governments be handing out needles to intravenous drug users? Does that encourage? Does that, how, should, how should it affect sex education in school? It did affect people's perspective did uh, to, to a certain extent affect solutions. But ultimately, consensus was arrived at at the, at the AIDS crisis. And what ended up happening was it's not really debated anymore. Like we did get to the other side where there is reality. I, I don't know that that's going to happen with with uh, COVID nineteen. I, I and I th- I mean I I I think it goes back to what Matt was saying before about that. You know, in this information age, everybody has the right to spout an informative opinion, whether there whether it is really knowledgeable or not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. And, the, and like AIDS was pre-computers, essentially. I mean, there were computers yeah. existed in the world. It was still but there like talk radio. And, yeah. Yeah. There was talk radio and those things. But, you know, like uh, information wasn't, you know, so there was a, like, it was almost like a processing. I mean, maybe, maybe there's like no processing of information that's going on anymore. It's just like right. sort of all being thrown up out there onto the internet everywhere, everywhere to go. Right. Um. I think we need to spend more time teaching how do we get to facts and truth, media literacy, critical thinking. I think we have to make that more explicit in what we do uh, than traditionally we did, where we those things happen sort of as side products so, of what we taught. So, 
so how, can you could you give us example of like what you mean by like media literacy? Well, th this oh, might sorry. sort of address what you're saying, Alan. Uh, if it doesn't, then we'll we'll take a more concrete uh, thing from Mike. But there was an interesting exchange in the Times of Israel earlier in the week. There was a blog written by like the former Justice Minister of Canada, who was basically Ooh, yeah. blaming the whole of the COVID nineteen catastrophe on the suppression of human rights and suppression of free speech in China. Yeah. Saying if there'd been free speech, if there'd been human rights, then this would not have yeah. escalated in the way that it did. Two days later, the spokesperson of the Chinese embassy in Israel wrote a response defending the Chinese and not only saying that the Chinese weren't in the wrong, but how wonderfully they'd handled the situation. And for me, that kind of sums it up. You've got two sides of this argument. Uh, are you are you saying, are you criticizing, are you supporting? And they've both produced very coherent, very convincing arguments. So yeah, I guess I either this... I don't know if this is answering Alan or this is maybe like sharpening Alan's point, maybe even more for you, Mike, to ask you, like, how do you teach to take those two sides of a debate and say, now what do I do with this? They're, they're both convincing. They're not like nutter conspiracy theories. Like, what do I do with this? Well, what would you say to a student about that argument? How would you work that Dig through? Deeper. I, I'm, I'm Dig still deeper. Dealing, with my, dealing with it myself. <laughs> so. First of all, I mean, first of all, Explain to your articulate to yourself what are the bias of the two sides. Mm -hmm. Now, the Chinese spokesperson, his bias is <laughs> it makes what he claims to be un extremely unreliable because he's a spokesperson for for the regime that clamps down on freedom of speech and truth and things like that. The minister yeah. from Canada is in a country with free speech, so he has the right to say what he wants. So. That's more clearly his opinion. However, I would I would ask I would I would employ another critical thinking skill, which is when somebody tells you this is the main reason or the only reason, things are usually more complex. I resist, you know. Oh, this is the silver bullet. This is the problem. I, I, I'm going to look for more variables, and I'm going to weigh that is a problem. It's one of the problems, and in my assessment, I have to weigh what other ones are, and I and I. Because they're both political people, what's their background in 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 public health policy? Right. So why am I? Right. What's their expertise? I, I get their opinion, and it's what. What's their agenda? I think you're saying what is their agenda? I'm saying two other, things. What's the agenda of the person writing it? Number one, what's their agenda? And they both have the Chinese one has an agenda so tight that I can barely trust a word out of his mouth. But even the Canadian guy, that even if I give him the benefit of the doubt that his agenda is what he means. Well, no, he has a clear agenda. No, he has a clear agenda. He's a, he's a, a human rights um, right. advocate. Correct. So his agenda is, is, is human rights. So that's an agenda. Correct. But once I identify agenda, now I have to ask, ask expertise. Really? You understand how pandemics work? You've spent, how many decades have you spent? Your ex, have you spent 10,000 hours? Studying the the policy, how policy affects pandemics, or are you just viewing everything through your lens of freedom and freedom and freedom? Right. So yeah. I, I think it's the latter one. He's definitely viewing it. He works for this think tank that deals with okay. uh, human rights abuses and whatever. No, so but, for sure, he was seeing it through that lens. And I think okay. that comes back to the the question that Mike asked before: <laughs> like, are people taking the the facts or the numbers or the data, whatever it is? and viewing it through a way to present a case or to support themselves. 
and and I, and I think so, and I think that's what was happening that's, here as well. True, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go on the record here as you know like just kind of shoveling off Erwin uh, Kotler, who was uh, I, I think I'm, I'm a, not a, a, I'm not trying to, great, but I, I think. <laughs> Agreed, I'm not uh, trying to, I, and please don't misunderstand yeah. me. But what I'm, I'm again, I'm not saying either way on the. No, on but the, I would, I would the, treat him. I would treat him the but, way I would, the way I always tell my students to treat me yeah. or their teachers in general, which is Absolutely. give them a respectful hearing because there's somebody probably worth. If they're your teacher, then they've risen to a position where they're probably worth listening to. But don't take everything yeah. they say at Absolutely. face value. If it's important and and it matters to you then you're going to have to do some checking where the experts are to find out if they're right or wrong. So, I, I right. think something else that you're pointing out, I think, which is a very important thing, um, when you talk about complexity. So this pandemic is showing us this because it has multiple levels of complexity, where the complexity is uh, in something that many of most people don't have an expertise in, which is medicine, biology, chemistry, right. those things. Um, but it's also it, it has complexity in social, in business, in economic, in, in it's all kinds of legal. Yeah, it's very multidisciplinary. So that means that you you can't just rely on the your comfort zone of the things that you understand. I think, right? I mean, well, like, we apply I, our I, common sense filters to understanding things, but we not we we're, we not, that's not enough. <laughs> it's just not. And, yeah. And, well, anyone who has any expertise in anything feels the frustration when they talk to non-experts of like, you right. just don't know what you're talking about. So I don't want to be that person who forms conclusions when I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. So you have to be, right. So you have to look at it from different perspectives. I know for me, right, my comfort, a little bit of my comfort zone in all this is I've, I've been going back here reading history on the the, the Black Plague in the, in the 14th century because I like, you know, I think of things through history. So I see like, Oh, what's the Black Plague, and what was its what was its uh, its effects on the on the development of history and society around it, right? Um, but it, like that's my comfort zone. But I also have to realize I have to go outside of that because it's it, that's not the only place where I'm going to be able to get a a fuller picture. Correct. Uh, there, there. Are, uh, by the way, collecting data, like we were saying earlier, it's hard enough. Uh, to know what is the accurate information and what isn't. You need to go to reliable sources of yeah. information. How do you establish what's a reliable source of information? Models. So much of public policy is now being built on models that are predicting the future. How reliable are models? What are models? How do they make them? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and who are these people who are know, making them? What are they, right? There was a big... There was a big thing going on right in the in the Mer in the Times of Israel, right? They have this article about this mathematician who came up with this whole model yeah. about how many days from forty to seventy days. I, I see, you know, that's very, you know, okay, it's good that this guy's out there, but that's very problematic if people are just, go, oh, well, see, this is what are we doing? This is crazy. Because I was thinking about another one that came out at the beginning of this. A guy, a guy said who was a Nobel Prize winner. I think it was published in the Jerusalem Post. He said, "I'll be surprised if ten people die from this." Right, and he calls. He's a scientist, and ten, right. right? Like it's like how. But not like, all scientists are good at making should, models. We should be suppressing all these different opinions. We should be right, reading of them, but five thirty-eight, which does models for predicting political outcomes and sports outcomes. They did a yeah. whole episode on how they're doing this modeling, and they're like, "This is way beyond us. This is this is so hard. <laughs> That's why we're getting all these different models. We who are experts at making models." Don't know how we would go about making a model for this. What do you want to say, Matt? Wow, that's that that's that's really uh, 
that's really fascinating. But it also yeah. comes down to this whole thing, and you talked before about who are the experts, right? Because like in America, or at least Donald Trump has now said the World Health Organization is not worth listening to. Right. And ev- everybody else said, what, what are you talking about? It's the World Health Organization. You have to listen to them. Yeah. So that becomes that kind of um, debate as well. You're talking about different scientists, different uh, people and their different opinions. So for me, I'm seeing a lot of this whole situation through the lens of, uh, uh, as a parent, I was telling you before, you know, I've got four children and they keep asking me, well, why aren't we allowed to do this? Or why are we allowed to do that? Or why can't we do that? So my answer is, because this is what the, the Misrata Briot have told us. This is what the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Health, excuse me, have told us. And we have to trust that the Ministry of Health are looking out for us and that they know how to, to manage this. Now, that's a very simple sort of answer for a, you know, for a seven-year-old. But on the other hand, there's something comforting for them as well, thinking that or knowing that there is an expert. It's not just Abba telling you to wash your hands or wear a mask. Mm-hmm. It's also, this is what we're being told is, is, is the right thing to do. Now, whether... I should now go behind and question the, the the authority of the Ministry of Health is a different question. But right now, I'm following the guidelines. But if as I'm we curious, about the if I'm curious, I have the right to look into and try to understand also. But ultimately, mm-hmm. I do have to put. And it doesn't mean that experts don't make mistakes, but they're right. the one taking the most educated guess on how best to handle mm-hmm. it. But yeah. again, my concern, and you know, whether you're looking at America, I don't know when we. I would have thought ten years ago that in a situation like this. Look, New Orleans, okay? There or the New or- how how the federal government handled the flooding in uh, New Orleans from Hurricane uh, Katrina. Uh, Katrina, yeah. I think American society basically said at the level of federal, state and city that was not handled well. And nobody really argued no matter where you were on the political spectrum. Here, I think states are are disagreeing on what does handled well mean. Was is the city? Are cities, states, and the federal government? At the end of this, I don't know that there will be consensus about what was considered handled well and what wasn't. That's my fear that there's been some sort of weird moment here, and and I'll tell you, it bothers me in terms of Israeli policy. Also, BB in defending himself from his charges doesn't say, "I understand the charges, I understand the process, but it's a democracy, and I have the right to prove myself innocent." He says it's a vast conspiracy of people who are just lying. And undermining the Enlightenment values, uh, uh, you have people who argue. How many Palestinian Arabs live in the West Bank? Will annexing the West Bank create a demographic problem to the Jewish identity and democratic identity of the state? You have people arguing about the reality of that, or you know that I, I fear that the postmodern world is leading us to a place where we aren't objectively talking about the same reality anymore. And I, I don't know how to educate right. in a world like that. That's what makes it so challenging and, uh, and so much fun for us as well. Though. <laughs> that and social distancing means we can't see any students other than through Zoom. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll start setting up our Zoom classes for the post-Passover uh, period, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I guess we'll have to... Wait and see, as we say, right? Wait and see. I, I am hoping that this will, you know, there was that miniseries uh, Chernobyl on HBO that, you know, that was the whole theme of it was that you can have whatever policy you want, but facts, reality is reality. It's going to get you in the end. I'm hoping that there will be, that this will be a, a sobering 
and unifying experience this pandemic that people will say, you know, we, we have to stop arguing about reality. We can argue about policy and we should have different perspectives and that's good. But this state, the death numbers in this state are so much higher than that state. You know, Sweden, either they either they will be proven right or proven wrong. And South Korea, either they'll be proven right or proven wrong. And we'll see. And at the end of the day, we'll agree, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, uh, I, I mean, you know your optimism. I guess we play these roles. You're the optimist, I'm the pessimist. But I don't think that if we project the future based on the present, I don't, There, at least in Israel's case, like since this is an Israel podcast, unity, uh, unity certainly <laughs> on the government level has not. This has not helped to that. I, 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 if you had told me six months ago, listen, this is going to be the situation. There's going to be a terrible pandemic. Everybody's going to be shut in, and the government's is still not going to be formed. Do you think that the, the government will come together and make a unique government, like an emergency government, because it, times are so dire? I would have said, of course. In Israel, course, yeah, no, definitely no make question. Government. How yeah, can I, you I not agree with you, Alan. No I question. Absolutely, 100%. I, I would have. flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted that that we that they that they haven't made an emergency government yet. It, it, it's it's incredibly it, disheartening. It's incredibly disheartening. So I can't see that this is going to bring any level of more. I, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's going to push us further into a. Sometimes, uh, into sometimes the, you have the, to get. Tribes. To, sometimes you have to get to that point before things get better. Where, where as a society we start yeah. to say, look, you just can't do this anymore. We'll fire you, and we'll get we'll we'll hire people who will uh, will take care of it. I, hopefully, it's a step towards everything moves towards a better result in well, the end. That sometimes you have to sink oh, a little lower a step, to get back it's up. Certain, but, correct, yeah. it's definitely a step towards. The question is, how low do you go before you start going up? What's the low point right you have to hit the, you have to hit the bottom of the plateau yeah before you exactly. uh, can start going up again hopefully that's sooner all right matt i see your kids are coming and we're out of time so thank you guys sorry to be a little too uh heavy duty but i i think it's important that our, our students and listeners know the things that roll around in our heads as teachers and educators so thank you very much thank Keep, you what, what keeps us up at night yeah it definitely does thank you matt Thank you, Alan. My pleasure. Thank you, Michael. And thank you in advance to Ben for editing. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time.